Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by Sean McMullen, Vice President of Partner Relations for the Christian Church Leadership Foundation. Sean is our guest speaker. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned to hear what Sean has for us today. Well, first, let me say it's... uh an honor to be here with all of you. I really appreciate this uh, opportunity uh, to preach the gospel, but also to tell you a little bit about uh, the Christian Church Leadership Foundation. I want to say before I even do that, though, that it's already been a real delight for me to be here and to be a part of your worship. Uh, You have some very gifted singers and musicians here. I noticed that on several occasions. I heard some beautiful harmony from behind me when we were singing hymns, so that was really a blessing to hear that. I appreciate our instrumentalists, um, a beautiful rendition of Power in the Blood during the offering, and the organ rendition of, is it Beautiful Savior? Wonderful, Beautiful Savior? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I love that song anyway, but thank you both. That was, that was really, really nice uh, as well. Now, I did take quite a bit of time during the uh, Sunday school hour uh, to talk about the Christian Church Leadership Foundation, and I'll just say this, and again, I'll be available after the service if you have any additional questions, but um, the Christian Church Leadership Foundation was formed back at the very end of 2019, going into 2020, at the closure of Cincinnati Christian University. And when Cincinnati Christian University closed, The trustees of CCU contacted the trustees of another Bible college, um, Central Christian College of the Bible in Moberly, Missouri, and asked if uh, they could do something to keep ministry training alive in the Cincinnati area. So we set about, we formed this foundation, and uh, we are continuing to train people to do work in the local church. We've done it in a very different, sort of an unconventional way for several reasons. We wanted to focus specifically and exclusively on things that relate to ministry training. And we want our students, uh, many of whom will go out from uh, our educational institution into the local church, Uh, many of those churches, uh, small to medium-sized churches, we want them to go into the ministry without any educational debt so they won't be encumbered by debt. So that's been another big important part of what we do. We have three ministry entities that come under the umbrella of the Christian Church Leadership Foundation. Uh, One is the Russell School of Ministry, where we train people to do ministry. The second is the Christian Church Leadership Network, and I understand now that your church is already a part of that, so we're glad that you're a part of that network. Um, You, along with about 1,400 Christian churches and Churches of Christ across the country, are a part of that network that's designed to help churches and church leaders uh, survive and thrive. We also have the Elliott Library, which is a combination of uh, theological library and archaeological artifacts uh, that we run as a part of the foundation as well. So again, I'll be glad to answer your questions if you have them afterward, but your church has already generously provided support for us, and I want you all to know on behalf of the Christian Church Leadership Foundation that we are very, very grateful. I want to thank you so very much for that. Now, I've uh, titled this message um, that has to do with uh, the comfort and the hope that Christ gives us. 
uh, Lord of the Unexpected. Uh, the primary text I'm drawing from is Mark, the fourth chapter. We'll be looking today in a few moments, reading together uh, Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. As an introduction to that, I want to share with you a story that uh, many of you probably know the Christian author Max Lucado included in a book he published a number of years ago called The Eye of the Storm. And in this book, Max Lucado tells the curious story about a small family pet. And it goes like this. We'll go to the next slide. It says, Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage. The next he was sucked in and washed up and blown over. He goes on to say the problems began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She removed the attachment from the end of the hose. She stuck it in the cage and everything was going well until the phone rang. She turned to answer the phone and she heard this horrible noise. And sadly, she turned around and discovered that Chippy had got sucked into the vacuum cleaner. Now she gasped, of course. She put the phone down immediately turned off the vacuum, ripped open the bag, and there she discovered little Chippy, alive but obviously stunned. Since little Chippy was covered with dust and soot, she grabbed him and she raced into the bathroom and she turned on the faucet and she held little Chippy under the running water. When that was done, she took Chippy out and realized he was shivering and soaked, so she did what any compassionate pet owner would do. She reached for the hairdryer and blasted Chippy dry. Poor Chippy never knew what hit him. Now, a few days after the trauma, a reporter who initially had written about this event contacted Chippy's owner to see how the little bird was recovering. The owner said, well, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares. Well, it's not hard to see why. Sucked in, washed up, blown over. That's enough to steal the song from the stoutest heart, I suppose. But you know, when you think about a story like that, that's comical, but it reminds us of instances in our own lives that are probably not so funny. I would venture to say most of us have found ourselves in unexpected circumstances at times that literally took the wind out of our sails. The question is, when something like that happens, when tragedy strikes or difficulty besets you, how is it that your faith in Christ carries you through difficulties and tragedies? We're going to look at an event in the New Testament out of Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, that tell us something about an unexpected crisis that the disciples faced and how Christ brought them through it. And I hope and pray that as we think about this example, we will understand that Christ is there for your crisis too. Jesus is there whenever you face difficulty. Here is what Mark tells us in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. 
Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. There are several things I'd like us to pull out of that text today that I believe will help us when we find ourselves in a time of crisis or difficulty or trouble recognize that Christ is with us and it will help us trust that he will carry us through that crisis. The first thing I note is this. At first, the sailing was smooth. Now this miracle begins in a very uneventful way. Jesus had been teaching beside the lake of Gennesaret, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee. Now the crowd that came to hear Jesus speak there was so large that the only thing Jesus could do in order to speak to the crowd but not have the crowd press all around him was to get into a boat and go out a little bit into the water. That way, the shoreline created a natural barrier between Jesus and the crowd. It let the crowd all gather as closely as they could, but they wouldn't simply surround Jesus and make it hard for him to teach. So he got into a boat, he stepped out just a little distance in that boat from the crowd, and he began to teach them. Now, Mark tells us, evening had come, and it was time for all these people to go back home. Jesus decided to return to the other side of the lake, maybe just to get away for a while and to rest. Now, this particular body of water, in some cases, is called a lake, and in other cases, it's called a sea. So those two terms are interchangeable, the lake of Gennesaret and the Sea of Galilee. It's the same body of water. It's either a small sea or a very, very large lake. The Sea of Galilee was about 13 miles long and about 8 miles across, 8 miles wide. So to take a voyage across the lake, even the wide side, if not the long side, was no small trip, multiple miles across. And to be halfway across the lake would put you in the middle of a very large expanse of water, as you can imagine. So at first, the sailing was smooth. The second thing is this. In time, a storm arose. That's what Mark says to us. He says, Jesus and his disciples are traveling across this sea. Then he adds, a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Have you ever had days like that? A day that begins pretty normally, kind of uneventfully. But then something happens in the midst of that day that shatters your peace and throws you into turmoil. I would venture to say, if we stood up today and told stories, many of you would have stories that fit right into this category. You wake up on a given day and everything seems fine. Go to the doctor and you get a diagnosis you hadn't expected. 
you hear about some difficult, tragic event, or you find yourselves in the midst of a tragic event. Something happens that absolutely destroys that uneventful, peaceful kind of spirit that you had that day. I can remember, for example, sitting at my desk at Standard Publishing, the years that I edited The Lookout. It was a Tuesday morning, January 9th, 2007. I'm at my desk working away. The phone rings at 8 o'clock in the morning. I answer it, and I hear my wife's voice on the other end. All she could say through her tears was this, Sean, my dad was killed in an accident on Highway 19 this morning, and I don't know what to do. I left for home immediately, as you can imagine, and for the next several days, Rhea and I and our family weathered the severe storm that had erupted out of nowhere around my father-in-law's death. It had appeared so quickly and so unexpectedly, we hardly knew how to respond. Now, once again, I'm guessing some of you have had similar experiences. Similar storms that have just almost arisen out of nowhere in your life when you least expected him. When that happened, where did you go and how did you respond? Well, let's see what the disciples did with Christ. Now, Mark adds an interesting note here that this squall, this furious storm at sea rose up. The disciples are in this boat in the middle of the sea. Now keep in mind, some of these guys are experienced fishermen. They know what it's like to be on the sea in rough waters, but they also know what it's like to be on the sea in the midst of a storm you don't even know you're going to survive. And that's where the disciples are at this point. It started out calm enough, but as soon as they got into the center of that giant lake, this great storm blows up, and Scripture tells us that the water is pounding and the waves are pounding and the wind is blowing. But Mark tells us this, and I think this is so fascinating, that during this storm, the waves are splashing in and the boat is rocking, threatening to capsize. The wind is just driving hard at them. All the while, Jesus is in the stern of the moan, boat sleeping on a cushion in the midst of all this storm, all this tragedy. Now, don't you sort of wonder how he remained asleep? I mean, you know, we don't know for sure. This boat could have had a lower deck, but it's possible it didn't. It's possible that Jesus is on a cushion in the stern of this boat asleep, and he's getting water thrown at him, and the wind is blowing, and the boat is rocking, but he still stays fast asleep. The whole time all of this is happening, Jesus is asleep. Now, you would think that the motion or the noise or the shouts of the apostles would have caused him to wake up, but apparently they didn't. All this commotion, think about it, all of this danger, this violent storm, and Jesus is peacefully sleeping. Now, it's possible he was just that tired, but I don't think it was just that. I kind of think that this was designed ultimately to teach the disciples a very important lesson. Jesus could sleep in the middle of a violent storm like that because he is Lord of the storm, just as he is Lord of everything else in this world. And it's possible that Jesus wanted his disciples to see by way of demonstration that nothing is going to go wrong on the boat as long as he is there with them. 
And maybe that's one lesson you and I can draw from this particular example. A simple principle that I think probably bears repeating in our lives often. The ship can't go down when the master's on board. Now, the disciples weren't quite there yet. They saw the storm. They had lived through storms before. They were kind of afraid they weren't going to live through this one. It was that bad. They understood the danger they were in. So, in fear and desperation, Mark tells us the disciples go to Jesus and maybe they're shaking him as he sleeps on that cushion. And they're saying, in essence, Lord, Master, Teacher, wake up. Don't you care if we all drown? So, let me ask you this question. Have you ever been there in your life? Have you ever had something go so terribly wrong In a moment of despair, you just want to cry out to God. Don't you care, Lord? Do you realize what is happening to me right now? Do you see the pain I am going through, the hurt I am enduring, the suffering I am having to bear? Do you see, God, what I am going through? Have you ever, even if you didn't say it out loud, want to say that at a time in your life? I'm guessing most of us have had moments like that. Now, we run to Jesus because we know he's our only hope, but our hearts are still stinging with pain, and we want him to know it. We want somebody to know how much we're hurting. But here's the simple truth. Even if you and I do not realize it, as followers of Christ, Jesus has a plan all along He knows what he will do, and he knows it will be okay in the end. He knows that he will give us whatever strength or grace or peace or comfort or contentment we'll need to get through the storm. I think in a way that's why Paul wrote what he wrote in Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And then I love what the prophet Isaiah said years ago in Isaiah chapter 43. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Now, none of these passages promises us that nothing bad will ever happen in our lives, but they do promise that no matter what does happen, Jesus Christ will be there for you. He will carry you through even the darkest times of your life. He did that for the disciples, and he will do it for you and me today. The third thing we'll notice in this passage is that Jesus restored the calm. Mark tells us that once the disciples woke Jesus from his sleep, he did a couple of very simple things. He got up, he rebuked the wind, he spoke directly to the wind right in the heart of the midst of this violent storm. Jesus stood up and he spoke to the storm. He spoke into the storm, into the waves, and he just said this. He said, quiet, be still. Now, the Bible doesn't give us all these nuances, but I'll tell you how I picture this. You know, the disciples are frantic. They really think they're going to die. 
So in desperation, they wake Jesus up. They don't know what he's going to do, but you can imagine all eyes are fixed on him now as he maybe rubs his eyes, gets up from his sleep, and rather than doing anything that's really bold or uh, striking, he simply stands up, and part of me wonders if he just spoke in a rather quiet voice. He could have shouted it, but I wonder if he just faced right into the wind that was driving that ship. And he said, quiet, be still. Now those two words, both in the Greek, have significant meaning. When it says, he rebuked the wind, that means to bring into submission. To take something that is out of control and instantly bring it into control. The word be still is a Greek word that means to tie something shut or to muzzle muzzle something. So Jesus commands and the violent wind submits. He calls for quiet and this powerful, deadly torrent of a sea stops raging. And then, this is most significant to me, Mark says that once Jesus spoke into the storm, the wind died down and it was completely calm. Now think about that for a moment. What an incredible contrast to this violent storm. A moment ago, the sea was raging and the wind was pounding and the waves were crashing and the disciples were scared to death. Jesus just speaks a few words. And suddenly, and I really do think instantly, everything stopped. The sea was as calm as glass. There was no wind stirring. The sun was shining. Could you imagine witnessing that? I mean, you are in the midst of a violent, violent storm. You call on Jesus, and there's instant calm and instant quiet. You see, when Jesus heals, or when Jesus encourages, or when Jesus brings calm into your life, even if you're in the midst of the violent storm, If we let him, he has the ability to bring about that calm completely, not even partially. You put your hope and trust in Christ, he can give you complete peace, even in the midst of the darkest hour of your life. I mean, he can heal your body, he can heal your fear, he can heal your disappointment and your pain. He has the capacity to do that, but you and I well know that Sometimes those things in our lives never do get better. A disease may never leave your body. A painful memory may never fade away. You may never fully recover from a loss. But even so, without that loss going away or that pain disappearing or that disease being relieved, Jesus can still give you perfect calm and perfect peace in the midst of of all of it. He can give you the strength you need to go on. He can give you peace that you never thought possible. He can restore joy that you never thought you'd ever get back. Because when Jesus heals, he does heal completely if we let him. 
Something else we can observe is that after all of this happened, the disciples no longer doubted. The storm had been stilled, the danger had passed, and in a sense everything was kind of right and back with the world. But notice, if you will, Jesus didn't leave it at that. There was still an important lesson to be learned. Once Jesus had calmed the storm, he turned to his disciples and he asked them a very pointed question. Why are you so afraid? Did you still have no faith? You know, it seems to me that the fear of the storm had exposed a lack of trust in the lives of the disciples. And Jesus felt it necessary to point it out. Why is that important? Well, it's kind of like it is for us sometimes. It's not that we distrust God or Christ in our lives, but you know how it is. Sometimes when things are going well, we just don't give it that much thought. You know, we just sort of assume everything is going to go on. All the people in our lives are going to keep living. We're going to continue to have the health that we have. We just sort of assume all of these things. And sometimes when things happen that shatter that illusion of perfection in our lives, we could be tempted to lose some faith there. So here's what I think Jesus wanted his disciples to learn. I think it might have been as if Jesus were saying to him. Fellas, I want you to look back on what just happened, and I want you to tell me exactly why you were afraid. I was here with you in this boat. Why did you fear? I know it looked pretty bad around you, but I was with you, wasn't I? Why were you so afraid? And maybe he would have added after that, so fellas, listen, from now on, I want you to learn from this, From now on, when you face storms like this in your life, not just at sea, but in your own personal lives, when you face storms like that, will you look to me first? Will you look to me before you look to anybody else or anything else? Will you trust that I will be with you in this because I've promised it and I never go back on my word? Will you believe that somehow, even if it doesn't seem like it, I will have things under control? And maybe Jesus is saying the same thing to us today. When you go through a hard time in your life, would you just try to the best of your ability to trust that Jesus is with you in the midst of it? And you know it's okay even to pray prayers like this. Lord, I'm really having a hard time right now. I'm struggling with this diagnosis. I'm struggling with this loss. I'm struggling with this problem. And I really don't know what to do. And frankly, Lord, I'm beside myself. But if you will give me the strength, I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to hang on to your perfect peace in the midst of even this difficult time. The final thing we'll consider is this. Through it all, Christ was exalted. How did disciples respond to all of this? Mark says they were terrified. I mean, really, who wouldn't be? Here's somebody who not only heals the sick and teaches with wisdom, he gives orders to the elements. He commands the sun and the wind and the waves. He has that much authority, that much power. I think you would be terrified in some ways. 
Mark says that. They were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Now keep in mind, they'd been with Jesus for some time. They'd traveled with him. They've seen him do marvelous things. They've even watched him perform miracles. But now they're looking at each other and saying, who is this guy really? I mean, I knew he was great. I knew he had power. He was awfully smart. But I had no idea he could control the elements of the world, the winds and the waves. Now, that Greek text, the phrase, they were terrified, simply means they feared with great fear. They weren't just afraid, they were really afraid. And again, who wouldn't feel awestruck? Who wouldn't feel terrified at such raw, commanding power? These guys are sharing a boat with a man who not only exercises authority over demons in the spirit realm, he not only exercises authority over physical conditions in the human realm, he gives orders to the world And the world obeys him. All they could say to one another is, who really is this guy? You see, with every encounter, it's becoming clearer and clearer to the disciples that this great teacher is indeed the promised Messiah, the Son of the living God, the Savior of mankind. And that he has promised to be with them in every storm of life. Just as he promises you to be with you in every storm of life you will ever face. And doesn't even the thought of that give us some comfort? I'll be honest with you. I don't know what my life will be like in the future. I don't know what's ahead of me. God has been very gracious to me and to my family But I do know that we're guaranteed nothing in this world. Absolutely nothing. Not life, not health, not even each other. And sometimes if I let myself think about the stuff that might happen, that gets a little overwhelming. But when I think about it from this perspective, you know, whatever is going to happen in my future, Christ is going to be there. And it'll be okay. So I won't worry. So let me ask this simple question as I close. Has that become clear to you? Have you personally come face to face with Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the Savior of mankind, who promises to be with you in every storm life could possibly throw at you? If you haven't, then this may be the perfect opportunity for you to meet Him, for you to claim Him as Savior and Lord. And you know, you do that by a very simple process. The Bible tells us that when we come to a point where we want to claim Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of our lives, have that presence in our lives and that hope in that future, we do it by simply believing the simple word of the living God. We do it by understanding what the Scripture says about Jesus, by accepting Him as Lord and Savior, by recognizing that we're all in the same boat here, sinners in need of a Savior. We're all the same. Nobody's different. Nobody's better. Nobody's worse. To claim that forgiveness that is ours in Jesus Christ. We do that by recognizing our sin, repenting of it, confessing it, acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord, following Him obediently in Christian baptism, becoming a brand new person whose sins are forgiven and in whose very heart The Spirit of God resides. If you've never made that commitment today, 
We encourage you to do it as we sing our hymn of commitment and invitation. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.